Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's reading comes from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let's pray together. So we come this morning, gracious Father, as little children. We are needy, we are helpless, and we are entirely dependent on your action in our life. So would you come? Would you come by your spirit? Speak to us through your word. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is also Jake. I know that's a bit confusing. Uh, My name is also Jake. I'm also part of the team here. It's good to be with you. Uh, This morning, we're talking about holiness. Holiness. The word holy is this deeply misunderstood church word, isn't it? Uh, Today, in our culture, it can be used uh, to add a little more punch to your expletive of choice, right? Just put a holy in front of it. Or be used to describe someone who is altogether uh, holier than thou, right? That is their judgmental, standoffish, terrible to be around, essentially. What, what do you think of when you hear the word holy? Holy. Perhaps you've grown up in the church and it doesn't evoke any of these images, but you're reminded immediately of the Old Testament. You think of Leviticus and uh, holiness laws or purity laws. Or you're reminded of stories of intensely holy places, so intense that to go into that holy place would be to die. What do you think of when you think of the word holy? Whether you're new or not this morning, follower of Jesus or not this morning, when it comes to holiness, most of us are in the same place. So rest easy. We're all unsure of his relevance and perhaps a little annoyed that it's a sermon topic this morning. Give us something a bit more practical. Parenting, dating, sex, relationships, but just not holiness. 
What I want us to see this morning in God's word from 1 Peter is that our work of counterformation in that work, a right understanding of holiness is essential. Is essential. So you remember this week and then in three weeks in November, we're in this series that we're calling Counterformation. And if you missed last week, here's the gist. It's really simple. The premise is that there are forces at work inside of us and outside of us that are seeking to deform who we truly are in Christ. And last week we set the stage. We saw the day that we're in what we've become or who we've become in Christ, and what our role is as a church. This week, we're looking at the thing that empowers all of that, the thing undergirding everything, and that thing is holiness. I want to ask three questions this morning, three really simple questions, each one driving towards just exactly what this means for our counterformation as people. Ready? Here they are. First, what does it mean to be holy? Second, How do we get holy? And then third, what do we do with our holiness? What do we do with it? What does it mean to be holy? First question. We heard uh, Cam read in our passage in 1 Peter, verses 14 to 16. I want to just read this to you again. Be up on the screen behind me, but if you have a Bible, open your Bible and read, read along with me. Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. First Peter was written largely, largely to those converted from from Judaism. So throughout the letter, the Apostle Peter, he's making these references back to Scripture that the first listeners in the first century would have known, would have understood. And here in verse 16, Peter's quoting the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. Now, the book of Leviticus is strange, isn't it? On one hand, on one hand, it's the most misunderstood books of the Bible. On the other hand, Leviticus is quoted so often that people must be experts on it. So, for example, Leviticus is quoted by your agnostic friend who questions why you eat shellfish and is wondering why you still listen to the rest of the Bible but disregard certain portions of the Bible. Leviticus is also quoted by some Christians who'd like to enforce certain laws, certain ways of being, as if Jesus did not exist, as if he had never come. Now, both of these approaches miss the point of Leviticus. Both approaches misapply and misinterpret what I think to us is a terribly relevant book. See, to understand Leviticus and the book of Leviticus, we have to realize it comes on the heels of the book of Exodus, which we're going to be in in January. And spoiler alert, I'm going to ruin the whole Exodus series for us out of the gate. Spoiler alert, Exodus ends after all that God has done for Israel. And God has done some amazing things for Israel, like powerful things. Exodus ends with Moses, not with God, not Israel with God in fellowship, but Moses is outside of this tent of meeting. And so Leviticus begins with God calling to Moses from the tent of meeting, calling to him, inviting him into a relationship that clearly Israel and Moses and we mess up all the time. Many people then read the book of Leviticus as a book of rules to get back in God's good graces, things to get back into relationship with him. And 
while there is certainly truth to the fact that our sin as Christians dulls our relationship with God, it totally misses the point that Leviticus comes at this stage in the story after Israel has been rescued, after Israel has been saved. And in Leviticus, Israel is being called, and stop me if this sounds familiar, to become who they already are, to be the people they were rescued to be. And who is that? The answer, God's holy people. See, most of us know holiness as the no, right? I say no to this, and I say no to this, and I say no to this, and I don't do these things. But holiness is actually more fundamentally about the yes. So on one hand, we could define holiness like this. Here's half of the definition of holiness. It'll be on the screen behind me. To be holy in the Bible means to be set apart or devoted to something. That's true. But that's only half the definition. Listen to the second half. Here's the full picture of holiness in the Bible. Ready? To be holy is to be set apart to belong to God. To be with him as his treasured possession. We see this so clearly in another book in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 to 8 reads like this. And just listen to it. There Moses writes, he says, For you are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his, what? His treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Out of everybody. And it's not because you were more numerous in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, you weren't a likely people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Holiness, then, is all about relationship. Holiness is bound up with grace and mercy and God's kindness and his faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness. Holiness at its heart is about belonging. Belonging. See, here's, here's the tension I see in our culture. Maybe you see this too. On one hand, we've just all come to assume that most of us are terribly lonely and terribly isolated and terribly depressed. The old groups of belonging, right, have been torn down. So we as a culture are frantically racing to replace them with a shared hobby, right? Oh, you play pickleball? I play pickleball. Let's be best friends. By the way, love pickleball. Right? Or some sort of thing that we can do together that will connect us to someone else. And just the other day I was at this gathering. And I was noticing, and someone else said it to me, uh, she said to me, you know, for these people, this is their church. This is their belonging. And so we're lonely, and we're frantically scratching, trying to find some place to belong, to be known, to have some sort of meaning. On the other hand, we're extremely distrusting, for some good reasons, of religious institutions and their jargon. And as I said earlier, this word holy for most of us is a relic to be left in the past. But could it be, and here's just a thought experiment for you this morning. 
Let's think about it. Could it be that the very thing our culture most despises, maybe you despise this morning, talk of holiness, could be the very thing it most needs? Because again, what does it mean to be holy? It means that God has called you out of your sin, out of the world, to be his own. To belong to him as his treasured possession. That divine belonging has been pronounced on you, not only with God and towards God, but also with God's people. This diverse people that stretches both continents and millennia. Could it be that holiness, being set apart to belong to God is what you're looking for this morning. Is what our city is looking for. And could it be follower of Jesus here this morning, longtime Christian here this morning, that your belonging to God is precisely what you need to remember? 1 Peter 1.14 begins, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then verse 17 adds, did you hear it? And if you call on him as father. See, holiness is a family trait, we could say. There are times when I'm disciplining my children, and I'll say something to the effect of, that behavior doesn't belong in this family. That's not how we act in this family. We don't do that or say that or fill in the blank, parents. And for a child, this is easy to comprehend, isn't it? Right? They readily see, right, through the meals and the shelter and the chauffeuring and the other care provided for them, that they are not autonomous individuals. Children know, children are acutely aware that they are helpless and needy Lost in this world without their guardian, their mom or their dad. But try sitting an adult employee down these days and saying to them, this is not how we act in this company. Or try sitting down a brother or sister in Christ and saying to them, this is not how we act in the church. Suddenly, the hackles of autonomous individualism are raised and the anger, right, fueled by the astonishment that someone else would dare to step into my sovereign sphere, boils over and comes out of our mouth in all sorts of venom. To be holy is to belong to God. And holiness does not just confront our bad habits. It does not just confront our sin. Holiness confronts our idol of autonomy that we belong to ourselves and ourselves alone. If we are going to be these counterformed disciples of Jesus, the first thing that must go and the first thing that must be continually shown the door is our individual autonomy. Again and again and again. Thinking that we live unto ourselves and not in relationship to a holy God and to his holy people. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul links holiness belonging to God to our behavior. In confronting the immorality of the Corinthian church, he writes this. He says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 to 20, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own. And, and so what follows, right? For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul's message lines up with what Peter is saying in our text today and brings us to our, our second question. How do we get holy? How, how do we get holy? Notice in that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul speaks of the follower of Jesus as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet when we left, last left Leviticus, we saw God calling to Moses, who is outside the tent of meeting outside of what will eventually become the temple. What's happened? How did we move from the outside to the inside? From being outcast to being brought in. Look back at 1 Peter 1, verse 18 to 19. Peter continues. He says, Knowing, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Notice, Peter begins with what did not make these Christians holy. He says in verse 18, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. In one fell swoop, Peter disregards as futile and perishing our primary means of belonging. He says this, belonging to God and to God's community is not something we can achieve. Not something we can do on our own. He says in verse 18, Peter wrote, he says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, permit me a moment of, of nerdiness with this text for a second because there's something happening here I want us to see, okay? Just bear with me. There is some debate as to whether Peter's original audience were other Jews or Greeks or really um, um, Jews who were influenced by, by the Grecian world, Hellenized Jews. There's some debate around that, and I'll explain why that matters in a second. It matters because Peter here is going after. He's attacking, right? He said it's futile and perishing. He's attacking the modes of righteousness that have been handed down to these people. The mode of being right in their world. The mode of being right with God or the universe or whoever. He's attacking it. And if he's saying, you know, if he's writing to the Jews, he has their laws, right, in sight as futile for recon reconciling them with God. But if he's writing to the Greeks, he has their pagan practices in mind as being futile. So what's going on? Well, one commentator, Karen Jobes, who's sort of like the expert on the book of 1 Peter. She cuts through all the noise and just says plainly and really helpfully, I'll put it on the screen. She says, both spiritual systems were empty in that in themselves they offered no redemption and both people groups were equally guilty in God's sight. In other words, if your method of belonging in this world and with God comes from yourself, your ingenuity is already broken. It's already broken. If our holiness and thus our belonging, if that quest begins 
and ends with our effort, our innovation, our breakthrough, our intelligence, our strength, we're already doomed to failure. Nor, Peter says, can belonging to God be something we can purchase. Again, he says, your God did not purchase you through a transfer of perishable things, such as silver or gold. The question then is who then belongs to God? Who then is holy? If it's not the elite, if it's not the wealthy and the intelligent, the self-sufficient and the strong, who? And Peter says, verse 18, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Again, speaking to both Greeks and Jews, most likely, Peter's comments, his language of ransom, it hits on two levels. The, the Jews who were familiar with the Old Testament story would have recognized in this language the language of the Exodus, how they had slain the lamb and put the blood on their doorposts as they left Egypt, how God had ransomed them for his treasured possession. But the Greeks also, however, would have thought of a slave purchasing their freedom in the Greco-Roman world. See, for a slave to be free in that world in the first century, they would go to the temple, put their money in some sort of offering box, and then the temple would go to the owner and give the owner of the slave the money that they had put in the offering box. And the question is, well, why the middleman, right? Why doesn't the slave just go to the owner and say, hey, here's the money for my freedom, I'm gone. And here's why. Because in going to the temple, in putting money in at the temple, the slave was essentially saying, I'm not now ownerless. I don't now belong to nobody. The slave was saying, I now belong to this God, to this deity, to whatever temple I'm at. To the Greek then and the Jew, what Peter was saying would be all the more striking. Christians belong to God. Not through money or merit they've accumulated, but because God sent his son to pay the price. Not just to live, though Jesus lived. Not just as an example, though Jesus was an example, but to die. See, if you're new here this morning, and if our singing and talking about blood seems morbid and gross to you, I understand but you have to know that for the Christian, the blood of Christ is truly precious. Because it's through Christ's sacrificial offering that outside people are made inside people. Faraway people are made near people. That people who have no money and no merit, no beauty and no brains, are welcomed into a relationship with a God they now call Father. Do you hear that? It's through Jesus we find the belonging that we long for. It's through Jesus and his work on the cross that we are made holy. Holy. Our being made holy, our continuing to walk in holiness as those who belong to God, all depends on our embrace, our regular embrace of that simple truth. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear the invitation from the prophet Isaiah, 
who speaking 700 years before Jesus, before the Christ, said this. He said, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah, anticipating the coming Jesus, says, come, come, come. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the same truth remains for you. Think about this. Let's get this in our hearts this week. If God did not save you on the basis of your merit, why do you think your merit will keep you with him? If God did not save you on the basis of your merit, why do you think it's your merit that will keep you with him and not his faithful hand? The work of counterformation is not intuitive. It's very strange. It doesn't come to me or to you naturally. With every other self-improvement project in my life, progress is about new discoveries and new frontiers and new skills and something new. But for the Christian, we get ahead by going back, by returning again to the good work of how we were made holy through Christ's work on our behalf on the cross. In fact... It's precisely when we leave the good news of Jesus' work on the cross that we get into dangerous territory. If you're in Christ, you've been made holy, full stop. And if you're not in Christ, you can be made holy today, full stop. And the thing about holiness, the thing about holiness, true belonging to God, is that holiness is an engine that drives us towards others. Third question, what do we do with our holiness? What do we do with it? The real irony of the supposed holy person who is standoffish and arms crossed, right, judgmental, scoffing, right, just, again, terrible to be around. The real irony of that person is that in their standoffishness, they prove that they do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Now, how do we know this? Here's why. Because the same self-giving, overflowing dynamic at play in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where God abounds to give us everything in Christ Jesus, that same dynamic is now at work in us as God lives in us. See, when we come to belong to God, we are compelled to want to get others in on this, to spread this. Listen to how Peter describes this dynamic in the very next chapter in this epistle. He says in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, he says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We belong to God for a reason. Do you see it? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To continue with this image of the temple, having been brought into God's presence, we don't just stand still now.
We go with God. We go with his presence to proclaim the good news of Jesus along the way. So here's how I want us to end. If you're new or visiting this morning, you might not be aware that this Sunday is very special. This is a very, very special Sunday. And it's a very, very special Sunday because this Sunday we're launching Christ City Surrey, which we can cheer about, right? This is a church plant, again, if you're new or visiting, that we've sent some of our best leaders to. Again, you might say our best leaders too. And you're left with me. It's a church plant that we as a network of neighborhood churches have raised over $100,000 for. It's a church plant that at least in its infancy will be really dependent on the time and resources of our pastors, of other pastors and other leaders. It will take more than it will give. It's a church plant a lot like this church plant. Why did we do this? Why did we do this? Did we like, we wanted like, like a, a thinner worship team? We wanted less leaders downstairs serving our kids, right? We wanted to make it more hard for our service team leaders. Why did we do this? Is it because my heart is so gracious and compassionate and overflowing? I'll tell you this, ask my wife, it's not. I'm greedy. I want to hold on to people. I want to hold on to resources. But once holiness gets inside of us, right, right? Once it gets inside of us, there is a movement out where we lay down our lives. We spend and are spent for the gospel of Jesus. That is the movement of the Spirit in our lives. Now, none of this means that we don't feel it. Following Jesus means joining Jesus in his death. And it often feels like death. Some of us have sent out, we have sent out our best friends. People I'd like to keep to myself and not share with anybody else. Service team leaders, again, are wondering how they're going to rebuild their teams. Our kids' ministry sent some fantastic leaders. And you know what, Christ City? We need some of you to step up. But in God's economy, all this pain that we're feeling right now, this pain that's mingled with joy and excitement, all this that we're feeling right now is all worth it. Not only because we trust, and we do trust that he's going to meet our needs, but also because the next time we play a baptism video, and underneath that person's name it says Christ City Surrey, we can take great joy in knowing that that's because we did not keep our holiness to ourselves. That God is doing something, and in his grace and his mercy, we get to join along. And we get to participate. So here's our ending. It's two endings. You thought that was the end. There's two endings. In Leviticus, Israel is given a whole host of instructions to keep the camp clean. This meant that not only would unclean things be put outside the camp, but unclean people as well. Those with infectious diseases. Right? They would live outside the camp. And if you can, can you just imagine them sitting there? God is doing all these glorious and profound things in the center of the camp, at the tent of meeting. And there they are, out in the wilderness, straining their necks, cupping their ears, trying to get a glimpse of what God is doing, just who God is. 
Well, the Bible tells us that when God sent his son Jesus, the author of Hebrews says that he suffered outside the city gate. That is, Jesus went outside the camp. And instead of being defiled, instead of being defiled, Jesus, belonging fully to his Father, healed sickness and disease, drove out demons and liberated the oppressed. And in a once-for-all act on the cross, in taking the sin of the world upon himself, for a moment, Jesus ceased to belong to God so that you and I would. That we could. We gave him our sin. He, in return, gives us his holiness. And what happens now? What do we do with our holiness? Hebrews 13, 13 says this. Therefore, and hear this Christ city. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. We go to Jesus. And we go with Jesus. We join him on his mission amongst the unlikely and the unloved people like us. We bring now his holiness with us wherever we go. Let's pray. Father, for the ways that we have rejected the holiness that you've purchased for us. When in one breath we have said Jesus is Lord, and then with our lives have said that we are Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would expose our hypocrisy and make us a whole people, holy entirely, without reservation committed to you. For those of us here this morning who are longing for belonging, would they find in Jesus and in his church the belonging that they're searching for? We love you, Jesus. You're so kind, so compassionate, so gracious. Would we look to you this morning now? In his name we pray, amen.